thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Wellness from Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And today we're going to talk about um, a very, I guess, a very important topic because it is something that uh, is affecting many women in many different ways. And it's also a very silent topic for a lot of women. So this is something that um, many women will struggle to talk about. And then on the flip side, there's many women who are very vocal about this. So it can leave, I guess, women feeling uncomfortable in some way. And for me personally, I've, I guess I've seen quite a few women around me experience this and it's been very challenging um, because of the way either that person's been talked to by other medical professionals or the way they've been made to feel about the situation. And the situation we're talking about today is actually recurrent miscarriage. I think it's always very well laced with a lot of emotion. We understand that this topic is very um, effective in terms of uh, challenging how women feel about themselves, about, you know, the developing fetus, the desire for pregnancy, um, the sense of loss and grievement that can come from that. So we do want to handle this with great sensitivity um, and awareness that there's a massive emotional component to this. But we also wanted to sort of talk about the realities and the, the scientific basis of what miscarriage is and, you know, what it can entail, what it looks like in terms of, you know, some of the reasons why it may happen and some of the ways we can approach it. So hopefully, today's ladies, you find this informative. Um, you know, if it is a, a concern for you, if it's something that's uh, been something you've experienced, we hope that it doesn't raise too many, um, 
I guess, emotional flags for you. But at the same time, part of that healing can come from knowing more and having better opportunities to ask the right questions of professionals around you. So hopefully you feel uh, a bit empowered at the end of this episode. And obviously, like anything, if there's any challenges that come up, please seek the right counseling. Please seek the right uh, the support that you need to overcome any challenges you might be experiencing. So I just wanted to start the episode with that. We, we don't want it to be a down, down episode, but we definitely want to approach this with great, uh, I guess, great sensitivity. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a good, a really good intro, Ash. And um, my heart really does go out to these women, these couples who've tried um, time and time again, and, you know, they have a missed period and the excitement that comes with that. And then the roller coaster emotions that sort of, and the cascade that happens after that. So I think that like I'm not going to try and and sympathize anymore um, with, you know, we, we do know that this is a really heart-wrenching thing that can happen um, to couples, but I just think it will come across as completely condescending if we, you know, try to keep sympathizing with you throughout the episode because, you know, I can't say that I know how you feel and I can't say that it's okay and I can, I, you know, clinically I can see it as being, you know, I can see it very differently to what you will experience that. Um, so I guess that's probably a good preface to to start the episode with just that our heart really does go out to you. Um, but let's talk about Let's talk about the facts. Let's talk about, you know, maybe some of the science behind it. And we also um, want you to know that we don't think it is just one of those things that happens. You know, I think that uh, for a lot of women, they just feel as though either they're partly to blame or, oh, all, you know, 50% of all conceptions end in a miscarriage anyway. Like we don't want that to feel like, you know, there's there's absolutely nothing you can do about and there's absolutely no cause because um, as we know now, that's not actually the case. So it's good to understand, mm-hmm. you know, the whys behind it. So let's talk about some of the, the I guess, the foundations of, what is a recurrent miscarriage? And first and foremost, uh, the definition generally comes along the lines that it's three or more consecutive miscarriages, meaning one after the other. So um, one miscarriage alone is not enough to be considered recurrent miscarriage. It generally comes on the back of three uh, of these experiences these events so if that's you know that's something that has occurred to you then yes that's absolutely considered recurrent miscarriage and there's many causes for first trimester recurrent miscarriage yeah and i think it the way that i look at it as well as can be age dependent as too so for recurrent miscarriage if if it's three or more before age 35 or two or more after 35 then those are certainly circumstances that you want to investigate or if there was ever a pregnancy loss after the second trimester then that absolutely requires you know further investigation straight away and unfortunately for a lot of women, the the grief experience occurs as well because the truth is that there's evidence showing that there's even with investigation, um, less than fifty percent of women will will have an answer. You know, there won't be a, an answer about the cause or the why or the how or, or what went wrong. So it can be really difficult to not know an answer. But I think you know, understanding that there's possible treatments for the underlying causes of recurrent miscarriage can hopefully raise, I guess, a sense of hope and an understanding that there's successful ways to to embark on that pregnancy journey and the first thing that i think that i really want women to know is that it is so common and i know that that doesn't help but what i do want you to understand that because it is so common it doesn't mean that it was your fault so it is never ever ever your fault if you know a miscarriage happens um and when we say common this happens in one in four cases 
So, you know, it's like a woman in their 20s has a 17% chance of having a miscarriage. Um, so between 17 to 20% chance. Uh, a woman who is about 35, a 20% chance in each pregnancy. And then a woman at about 40 usually has a 40% risk. And then that risk doubles if it's 45 and after. So, you know, this is something that is so common that happens. And it is never, ever, ever your fault. And the other thing is that it doesn't mean that it will happen again. So even if you have had recurrent miscarriages, even if you do fit into that category or you have had one miscarriage, it also is not a determinant that that will happen again. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's something that's, you know, really, I was going to say, raises optimism. The risk of that miscarriage is at least one in six um, of all pregnancies for conception. So, and that risk, you know, remains one in six uh, throughout. So it is unfortunate when it is recurrent. Um, it's not like a statistically uh, escalated risk each time. So just remember, for women who often fear that, I know a lot of uh, ladies I've spoken to who have had, had this, they do fear as though like, oh, because I've had one, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more chance of it next time. Um, so I just want you to realise that that's actually not the case, that the, the science says that it still remains the same degree of risk. It's just very unfortunate when they do become recurrent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there's so many misconceptions about this as well, because we see in the media, you know, celebrities in their 40s and late 40s, just having babies and looking amazing and maybe having twins or and looking like it was the easiest thing in the world to happen. But reality is, is they probably had donor eggs. They more than likely went through IVF. They probably had multiple rounds as well. Um, there was, I'm sh you know, fairly certain that there would have been lots of assisted reproductive, you know, technology used there. So, you know, it's not as simple as just, oh, well, if, you know, everyone, it seems like everybody can get pregnant or everybody's having babies except me. It's definitely, it's certainly, certainly not the case. And unfortunately um, for so those superstars, yeah, well, and the superstars as well have unlimited resources often so that, you know, they do have access to the very best of everything in terms of they don't have to wait for appointments, they get straight into places they need to go, they buy their way through, you know, processes and procedures that would otherwise take, you know, regular women a lot of time, effort, money, resources. So, you know, I guess, exactly. you know, be very careful about, you know, comparisons and um, the experiences and expectations. Just realise there's some key causes for the increased risk of recurrent miscarriage and I think we'll talk about that now I think it's you know just good to understand if there's anything you could avoid anything you could do differently that you may feel comfortable you know addressing and realizing as well some things are way outside your control and uh, this is where it's important to seek professional support um, and assistance to I guess underlying issues to rule in or rule out the possibilities of those so let's talk about some of the, the yeah, awesome. causes um, I always okay. go you know first of all most let's talk about lifestyle factors because these are things we actually have control over <laughs> these are things we we can actually change and this is the only area pretty much that we have any influence over so if you can address lifestyle factors then you can at least you know i guess in your heart space know you've done the very best you can do with the environment and the opportunities you have to give yourself and your child every chance um, of a successful pregnancy so there's very clear documentation uh, linking things like increased rates of obesity or being overweight and the increased risks of miscarriage. Okay, so if that's mm -hmm. something that is occurring, then obviously addressing things like your BMI and your body mass is a really important step to reducing your risks of recurrent miscarriage. 
anything that involves toxicity. So smoking, for example, is an absolute no-no. You know, there's uh, definitely well-regarded studies showing that smoking absolutely increases risk of miscarriage as well. So, you know, just some of those basic things, the lifestyle interventions we talk about for every single hormonal issue we've ever talked about, the foundations are nearly always the same. You know, avoiding excess estrogens and lifestyle, um, basically chemicals in our lifestyle. So anything that reduces toxicity, avoiding plastics, avoiding air, water, soil contaminations, things that could potentially influence or affect our expressions of health. Um, These are things that can be altered. So we have control over that. So choosing healthful lifestyle practices is a great first place to start if you're having a challenge along this pregnancy journey. Um, So I always say to people, just, you know, what's within your control? Great. You can change those things and do. You can't change them. Please don't stress over what you can't change right now. Just work on what you can. So they've even, I mean, this is one that women say, Oh, it's because I was, because I, I was, I was drunk when I conceived. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's just not supported by science, you know, as, as terrible as that sounds to say. Um, they've even shown that even moderate levels of alcohol consumption don't actually elevate our risk of miscarriage. That's a bit concerning because that gives the wrong message out there to women. But again, we have to talk about the realities of the cause and, you know, for the studies to show that it's not specifically, you know, alcohol related um, at a, a, you know, a glass a day level. That's, you know, again, take that pressure off yourself. Don't burden yourself with guilt if that's been a situation where you feel as though you might have done something to, to harm your child because we know that that's not the case. Um, I heard someone tell me it was because, you know, she'd had really rough sex in the first trimester and it could have caused a miscarriage. And I'm like, oh, who told you that? You know, like, gosh, don't be holding that kind of baggage. That's not true. You know, we know that that's not true. So um, again, if that's a concern or a thought, please remember that um, something like sexual intercourse cannot harm your baby in the first trimester. Um, so, you know, consider that that's not the cause of it. We need to look some something else that uh, could be contributing. Andrew, what other things do you, do you consider when you're talking to someone about, you know, recurrent miscarriage? The biggest things that you just talked about were, you know, obviously the really easy modifiable risk factors. So, you know, the smoking, the heavy alcohol drinking. Um, There is some research that shows that a lot of caffeine consumption can increase risk and very heavy exercise. But, you know, that would just be a normal um, thing that, you know, most women would consider as well. There's all sorts of environmental factors that have been implicated. So these are things like, um, you know, anesthetics, uh, general pollution, um, air travel, saunas, uh, and spas or jacuzzis, um, and stress and those sorts of things. But none of them are actually really scientifically proven. They don't have a scientific basis for that. Um, And I know that uh, when when you go down the I guess the rabbit hole of fertility and looking at miscarriages because it is such an emotive topic it also means that there's a lot of um, I guess myths and almost like snake oil treatments um, out there um, that are like the miracle cure for everything and and it's simply uh, simply not true the most the biggest cause of miscarriages is an abnormal number of chromosomes in the embryo either the egg or the sperm So, which simply means that as the embryo is developing, things may not have worked out quite perfectly and the body's in its infinite wisdom has seen that embryo and gone, oh, no, things aren't quite right there and just essentially taking care of it. 
that is the biggest cause of miscarriages is simply an abnormal number of chromosomes. And that doesn't mean that there's a problem with you. It just means that maybe things weren't dividing exactly perfectly. Um, and, you know, as we age, the risk of these abnormalities do increase, which is why the, the risk of miscarriages increase as well. But, you know, this is kind of the way our, our body is designed. It's, it's part of our evolution as well. Um, there are certainly heavier causes. There are, you know, more um, sort of pathological causes that can come into play, Ash, as well. So these can be genetic things. They can be immune system based. Certainly hormone imbalances can definitely do it as well. Um, in the first trimester, uh, sometimes if there's a lack of progesterone and testosterone in particular, those two can certainly um, change the way that um, the uterine lining is, you know, developing and the way implantation happens and the way that the embryo gets nourishment. Um, so that can certainly affect things as well. Um, and there can be other conditions as well. So other hormonal issues like thyroid conditions um, and what else, Ash? Uh, diabetes, and, uh, even undiagnosed. So women yes, with undiagnosed course. diabetes um, or poorly controlled, poorly managed diabetes as well can uh, increase your risks of recurrent miscarriage. So ladies, if you're, you know, your blood sugar handling is not uh, adequate, if you have diabetes and you're not monitoring or checking it um, and you are wanting to fall pregnant, then there's something you have to really consider monitoring and managing very well to make sure your body is optimal for the state of pregnancy, that you're going to ask these massive metabolic demands, massive demands of the body. Um, so anything that threatens your body's state of homeostasis of balance, which is a pregnancy, by the way, and this is something a lot of women don't realize. The placenta itself, so when, when uh, you know, sperm meets egg, creates an embryo, it has to be adhered into the lining of the uterus, and this is through the blood supply via this placenta. That placenta itself um, actually acts like a parasite. And the fascinating thing about this, it, it has to mask this embryo from the body so the body doesn't mount an immune function and destroy it. So the placenta is extraordinary in what it actually does. And it's the only organ of the body that's transient, meaning it grows and it goes away, um, which is, you know, the afterbirth, so to speak. So it's a fascinating, fascinating organ. And they also find that the placental causes of recurrent miscarriage are actually quite high. So... You know, as soon as we start to think about recurrent miscarriage, we also have to consider environments that could affect placental uh, growth and development. So if, you know, ladies, I think this is probably where more serious consequences. So for women who've experienced stillbirth or, or you know, post 20 week pregnancy loss, um, they actually examine the placenta to see if they can find a source or a cause for the demise of that pregnancy and that's really interesting because it shows you just how important the placenta is so that ties in again like you were saying andrea of you know chromosomal abnormalities placental abnormalities these are things that just by law of nature we don't have control over and they are not going to be perfect every time um, and really yeah, every pregnancy yeah. is a great gift if it does occur in its you know entirety in its perfection because there is literally two cells becoming trillions. That in itself, the process for that to happen is nothing short of miraculous. Um, it just never ceases to amaze me just how extraordinary that that process is. It blows my brain. Um, so to realize there's so many possibility, I guess, possible scenarios of 
problems in that that situation makes us realize yeah okay so there's obviously the genetic causes and you know then there's placental causes there's lifestyle factors there's hormone dysfunction as you described andrea you know imbalances mm. in um uh, progesterone or testosterone so these are you know absolutely issues most families most couples will investigate the anatomical causes you know husband mm. wife, yeah. wife or you know, lady man sperm egg genitals you know like looking at all these things to see if there's any concerns whether it's fibroids polyps adhesions endometriosis anything that could affect uh regular uh, you know fertilization and pregnancy so you know i think the anatomical causes we won't discuss too much because that's usually the first source of investigation for most couples it's the slightly more complicated things that um are often missed or overlooked in the early stages there was something interesting I read about that, you know, surprised me a little bit um, because I, when I, was, I hadn't considered it, I didn't actually really know a whole lot about it. But it's something called sperm DNA fragmentation. And this occurs mm. due to free radical stress or oxidative stress and essentially, um, you know, things that can cause this sperm DNA fragmentation uh, are the same things we talked about in terms of lifestyle. This is smoking and diabetes, um, paternal aging, so age of the, the father, and also something called the presence of a varicocele. So they think that um, there's extraordinary things about a woman, and this is one of them, is that potentially the egg at fertilization can help to repair the DNA damage. So this is why maternal egg quality and numbers are so important. But um, yeah, there's been been there's been documented cases of miscarriage recurrent with DNA damage. So that's fascinating, isn't it? That the woman's egg could actually potentially correct it. But if there's obviously not that capacity to make that correction to the DNA fragmentation, then that's going to be a source of miscarriage as well. So just throwing that one out there, it's it's interesting because it's different because it's something you know a lot of people have not heard about. Um, doesn't mean that it's everyone's source and cause of, mm. of miscarriage. But again, this is why we're saying there's many different things. And one of the other ones that um, certainly comes into play, and I think this is probably when most people are under the care of specialists anyway, but if there's blood clotting disorders. and that's, Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so that, that's a really most, important. Most um, people who have blood clotting disorders know they do um, because they're usually mm. under the care of an immunological team of some sort. Um, so, you know, if that's the case, then obviously working carefully with their specialists will help them to increase their risks of successful pregnancy. Actually, I like that you brought up the the sperm DNA fragmentation mm. because I think often women take this burden all onto themselves, yes. and they think that it is their body that's failed. That um, you know, it's it's their problem. Whereas you know, it it always takes two to tango. And fortunately, um, sperm changes really quickly. It's it's a thing that's a lot much easier to change and um, manipulate. It's not the right word, but just uh, to change a man's sperm quality is a lot easier than changing egg quality that's for sure and for example if there is that sperm dna um, fragmentation that's a that's a problem there's some really easy like treatment mechanisms that come into play so it's just increasing antioxidants even with things like vitamin c and vitamin e um, increasing um, more frequent ejaculation so just so that the sperm turnover is a little bit higher um, and then if it does have to come into the instance of assisted reproductive technology then there's you know really good ways of getting rid of the bad sperm um you know nice and easily so that's a really cool thing uh but 
I think I've digressed a little bit there. Um, I, Ash, I know you talked about diabetes, but also insulin resistance is also another cause that I forgot to mention before. Um, mm. And just because, you know, there's a whole bunch of different mechanisms in which it affects things, but um, it can definitely change the blood supply or the angiogenesis to that developing embryo and to the egg itself. So it can be changing egg quality, but we also know that insulin resistance is changing our hormonal picture that's happening too. And we need that to be well balanced. And this is also why we love seeing women prenatally before they want to get pregnant um, so that we can hopefully help to balance a whole bunch of things before, you know, they even try to conceive in the first place, which also is going to reduce their risk of miscarriage, which I think is just amazing. Um, we might talk in a second about some tests that you can have if recurrent miscarriage is something that's been happening for you. But one thing that I have um, that I do want to talk about is what actually happens next if you do have a miscarriage, because I get phone calls from my poor, beautiful patients who may have just had a pregnancy loss or may have, you know, just um, had an ultrasound where um, maybe the embryo wasn't locatable or they it wasn't as far along as what it should have been or maybe um, it was like an empty sac or something along those lines and they're not actually told by the medical providers as to what do you do next. So what's the next step? And so I'm talking through now, okay, well, these are your options. You can watch or wait. Sometimes that can take up to two weeks to, you know, to see if the, the uterus will actually let go of that tissue. And if not, then intervention happens there. But I actually think that that's a, that's a really cruel way of going about things. You know, for a woman who knows that she is in the process of miscarrying or has lost that embryo to then just sit and wait, I think that that is awful. Um, but anyway, there is two medications that, that are usually used as well um, that can help to just, you know, expel things from the uterus to move things along a little bit. Or there is the dilate and curate um, procedures or the DNC procedure where they will essentially go and, you know, um, clean out the uterus to just expel any of that tissue that the, the uterus hasn't done itself. Um, and then they will retest usually with an ultrasound and checking HCG levels just to make sure that things are coming back down to, to that normal process. And then we just wait for that next period just to make sure that things have regulated really nicely, which it does most of the time. Mm. Um, so that's usually what you can expect if that, that does actually happen. Yeah. And that's just speaking from like a physiological sort of medical, um, <laughs> medical thing. It's not also thinking about, you know, the healing and repair that you can do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you said something there that really, you know, resonates with what I've seen with women. And that is just that it is, it, it does seem cruel. The wait and watch thing is cruel because it's the torment, um, the possibilities of what, yeah. what was, what if, what could have been. Um, and I think each woman needs to make a decision based on what she feels is best because I do know women who have taken that approach um, because it's almost part of that grieving process. It's part of the, the natural mm. cycle of things that's going to help them, you know, to move through this part of their, their life. Um, so really you have to make that decision on what you think, you know, is, is best for you. It comes down to whether you feel as though that no treatment, you know, and to, to see what happens as a normal physiological passing of, of tissue, um, whether you feel as though the treatment with medicine to expedite the, the passing of mm -hmm. the, the uterus contents or whether you feel as the, the DNC, the surgical treatment is, 
a pathway for you too. But just knowing that you've got those options, knowing that they're there. Um, I do know of a lady who really didn't love the, um, the medical um, treatment with medicine. She was really unwell. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not just the the loss. It was to do with, you know, the nausea, the vomiting. She had, you know, quite strong reactions to the medications. And um, Yeah, the misoprostol, they usually use a combination of misoprostol and methoprostone. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have pronounced those slightly incorrectly, but it does, you know, obviously change things and cause contractions for the uterus and all sorts of stuff as well. So it can be quite an unpleasant process. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, just knowing what potentially you know could happen and just feeling what you feel at this stage is the best thing for you i think is is the best thing for you you know there's no one who can tell you what is right so um try and and i guess oh this this is one of those tricky things a bit like birthing as well you need to express what you want um as as hard as this situation might be some of the empowerment comes from going okay this has happened but this is what i want now uh and that is part of the healing journey Mm -hmm. too i think anytime a woman who has been dictated a procedure particularly when it comes to reproductive health can often linger with you know regret or um feelings of violation or any number of different things that are negative to you know to her well-being so Ladies, I just want you to realize there's, there's your choice. You have a choice. You are a woman, you, you know, mm. an informed and educated woman. You're listening to these podcasts. So please exert your choice. Chat to people who know uh, about this in more detail so you can feel as though you've made a choice. Because as soon as we exert choice, we have some degree of power, even if the situation is not what we want. Um, it's still, we still have some control over the, the, the situation. So I think that's, that's probably my take home from when I was, you know, doing the homework on this. I thought, what would I want in a bad, bad situation? And that is to still feel as though I had some degree of, of control, uh, some degree of, you know, decision making in the process. Sure. Okay. So ladies, if uh, you have experienced a miscarriage um, or, you know, you're in the situation where you are having recurrent miscarriages, it absolutely requires some sort of investigation. And if your current health provider is not on board with that, then you need to find one that is. These are the normal things that I would test for in these circumstances. So I'd want to do a day 21 progesterone levels. Um, So just checking that. I'd also usually couple that with testosterone and, and estrogen as well. But the day 21 progesterone is the most important thing. I'd also absolutely test thyroid stimulating hormone or your TSH with a free T3 level as well. Um, Now, the free T3, checking that if there's not an existing thyroid condition can be a little bit controversial, but in the cases of recurrent miscarriage, um, it should absolutely be justifiable. I'd also like to do some autoimmune testing as well, particularly an APLA, which is your antiphospholipid antibodies because there can be circumstances where there is an autoimmune process that's happening so that when you do get pregnant, your body, um, like what Ash said, it actually sees it as a foreign invader and takes care of it. So it can be an overreactive immune response to that. You can certainly do some chromosomal testing. Um, and one that I think people overlook is actually testing for celiac disease as well. So you can do that with a simple blood test. So that's the HLA-DQ8 test um, because a celiac disease is actually a really common cause of miscarriage that most um, people actually don't know about um, and most doctors won't test for either. Um, So those are some kind of baseline things that I would look for. Um, And it's really interesting, Ash, um, there's a – 
an organization or a clinic um, in the UK that uses low-dose naltrexone purely as a treatment just for recurrent miscarriage. And that will address the immune response or say if there is positive antiphospholipid antibodies um, or there are like thyroid stuff going on, that is the one and only treatment they do is with low-dose naltrexone, which I think is really interesting because it kind of augments that immune response. Um, Not a lot of Australian doctors know about that. Um, It's not very widespread. It's definitely something that's a little bit controversial. We won't go into any more of that right now, but I, you know, it's just an interesting sort of thing there. Yeah, good that you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm just amazing. I'm glad you mentioned because I'd totally forgotten about there's actually a doctor here in Perth doing that. One of my patients um, went through that process after experiencing recurrent miscarriage to a successful pregnancy, and that came on the back of the investigations you've just described and uh, regulating her yeah. immune system differently using low-dose naltrexone fascinating because of the effectiveness i hadn't heard of it until she had that experience and uh, you know i kind of got her to write everything down like oh tell me more about it because it wasn't something that's you know i'm not dealing with reproductive medicine every single day um it's just you know i usually learn things from my patients going through challenge but uh it's great you mentioned that because that is definitely something to look into and i know here in australia um dr gavin Sachs is considered an authority and expert in this area he's uh an educator at university of new south wales in the women's reproductive health medicine uh, arena so and he's definitely like authored many things sets curricula and things like that so he's definitely a leader here in australia and he certainly has a list of uh, investigations for current miscarriage that is considered as you know like a first line investigation second line and third line investigation and you know all those things you described uh are sitting on that first line investigation and so that's you know so important that that's done obviously looking for elevated inflammatory markers and things like that that could uh, you know be reflective of that immune dysfunction um, and then his yeah, second line sort of exactly. sits in looking at, you know, like the physiological stuff. Have we checked pelvic ultrasound? Are there any anomalies? Things that are important to understand there. Um, even MTHFR, you know, mutations, um, factor, yes. factor yep, five exactly. Leiden, all the different other, you know, mutations. So then he starts to get more into the genetic testing side of things by the look of, uh, you know, the t- tests that are listed. Um, and then antithrombin, so blood clotting disorders, which is, you know, there as well. And also looking at all the male stuff so the side style of um you know how what is going on with the male sperm so looking at genetic testing for that you know fragmentation risk um that's really interesting and then his third line protocols come down to things like natural killer cells and um, embryo quality you know through ibs assessment yeah. so it's great because you know there's a really nice clear protocol and working with your health professionals who are specific in this area they can take a list like this and they can run through that criteria and, you know, really assess you in a way that can give you confidence that you're doing the very best you can to overcome the challenges that have been presented to you and that you can actually come up with some, you know, I guess, management and solutions and possibilities to how to move forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Gavin and um, another guy named Professional Michael Chapman were the ones that taught me, you know, the stuff about the recurrent miscarriage. So, um, yeah, Ash, that exactly what you're saying is, is textbook, which is awesome. Um, ladies, I just want to just quickly um, touch on if – 
you things maybe not to say to someone or not to do. <laughs> um, say a, a girlfriend um, or a couple have have just you know had a had a pregnancy loss and miscarried. Um, I know that I have certainly been criticised by patients before for being too clinical, just about the process because you know obviously I do understand the statistics and I can um, be <laughs> I guess the devil's advocate in these sorts of situations and be a little bit removed from that. Um, whereas you know when you're th- in the thick of it, it's very very different. Um, and w- some things that are not helpful <laughs> is saying, oh, well, you know, at least you got pregnant in the first place. Uh, they, that's definitely not necessarily something that that's helpful or um, at least uh, maybe they already have children. Oh, at least you've already got some children because that, you know, it doesn't necessarily change things um, or saying to them, oh, I know, I know how you feel or I know what you're going through. Um, even if you have been in that situation, um, it, it's always going to be different. Someone else's experience is always going to be completely different um and then asking them questions like oh did you drink alcohol beforehand or um you know was it all that running about that you did and all of that sort of stuff that is not helpful mm-hmm. um so yeah just you know being supportive asking them what they need um or just asking them how they feel i think is you know probably and just be that sounding board is probably the best thing that you can do i've had patients who have you know in um the circumstances where they have lost pregnancies they have done things like they have had certain types of ceremonies where they have planted trees or you know done whatever it is that they feel like um that they've needed to to create some sort of closure for them and i think that that's a really healthy process because you're not just ignoring it you're acknowledging it um and doing whatever you know sits well with you and your partner and in that situation all right um so ladies if you are in this situation where you have experienced recurrent miscarriages i would really implore you to work with someone who knows what they're talking about who can help you investigate why this is happening in the first place um if the um pregnancy loss was after 12 weeks then they should absolutely be testing placental or maybe the embryo tissue itself just to see if there was um you know something that was obvious um because that information might be helpful for you too Ladies, if you have been given um, any really amazing advice um, in these situations that might help some of our other listeners, we would certainly love to hear from you. Um, So if you want to communicate with us, you can do on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or on Instagram at the wellness women. We actually have had stacks of requests to do this episode. Um, So if you're listening in and you know that this might be beneficial for a girlfriend, please feel free to send it on to them. Um, And ladies, if you do have any questions, make sure you get in contact with us and remember you can consult with us privately as well and i just love um, to so give you a quick oh if you don't mind i just want to throw out some quick resources yes, just for ladies that you know obviously i don't have resources all around the world there's a lot of different listeners from all the different countries so i don't have those resources but for ladies here in australia um so important to reach out there's so many uh, i guess facebook forums and groups you can join support groups people that uh, understand your experiences and can really help you through these experiences but in terms of professional services um some of the ones that i've referred to and women have found particularly helpful um is a group called sans which stands for miscarriage stillbirth and newborn death support um which you know sounds Mm -hmm. serious but they're incredibly professional and they're there to help they're a 24 7 service so they're there on call all the time you can find more information at sands.org.au and that's sands s-a-n-d-s uh there's also the red nose 
grief and loss group, um, which used to be SIDS for kids and things like that. Uh, they're also 24-7, so rednosegriefandloss.com.au. There's griefline.org.au and there's also grief.org.au. These are all services that are there to support you through challenges and, you know, what you're feeling is real. You know, what you're feeling is certainly something that other people can help and support you with. So please don't ever feel that you're alone. Um, make sure you reach out and talk to people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Ash. Uh, that was perfect. All right, ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.